crossing the Jordan. This is what we're going to be looking at today, starting in Joshua chapter 3 as we go uh, into chapter 5. And this is a big deal. It's not just uh, crossing the river. This isn't just a matter of, oh, let's compare this to other miracles that have happened. Is this one bigger? Is this one smaller? This is a big deal, and this is accumulation uh, of a lot of things that have happened in the lives of these people. Because once they cross over the Jordan River, they are going to be in the Promised Land finally. God had taken them out of Egypt 40 years ago and given them this Promised Land that was promised even way before that, but they, hadn't, they haven't arrived there yet. And by the time we finish this message, they will have crossed the river. They will have arrived. And so this is, uh, this is a big deal for the nation of Israel and their history. And it's the end of the Exodus wanderings, entering the promised lands. So in one sense, it's an end. And in another sense, it's also the beginning. In the same way that with all the, the graduations that have been going on uh, right now, as graduates cross the stage that at one hand it is a graduation, it is a, a finishing of something, but it's also a commencement because they're commencing on the next stage in life. And as Israel here crosses the, the river, yes, it is going to be the graduation, the end of their, uh, their, their wanderings in the desert, the end of this whole exodus period, but it's going to be the commencement of, of the conquest and this whole new stage. And whenever there's new stages in life, Whenever there are new things, it means that there are new challenges. It means that there are things that are unknown. And oftentimes for us, people, this doesn't make sense, but people, we would rather stay with the old hardships sometimes than venture forth for the, for the new challenges that lie ahead. And what we need to remember is the same thing that the people need to remember back in this account in Joshua chapter 3, 4, and 5 is that even though there's going to be changing situations and all these different things, that God remains the same. And that the same God that was with Moses and was with them uh, in the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea in these past uh, 40 years is going to continue to be with Joshua and continue to be with them into this challenge of the conquest, that it is, it is a different day, but it is the same God. God had told them this already, and now he is, going to, he is going to prove it. He is going to demonstrate to them and make it very clear that he is indeed the same God that brought them through the Red Sea, and he will continue to be with them. So let's look at chapter 3 first. And in chapter 3, we're going to see that God stacks the waters. We'll see what this is all about. God stacks the waters. Let's start reading Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. We're going to see the word passed over repeated at least, I think, like 22 times in this uh, section. Obviously a main thing that it's about. Let's pause here for just a moment because we need to kind of realize what, what they were up against. So they came up to the, the Jordan River. And so this is going to be the boundaries for the, for the promised land. And so if you uh, look at a, a Bible map, you'll see that there is the, uh, um, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan runs through that. And then the lower Jordan runs from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And so this is actually an aerial picture of part of the uh, Jordan River. 
And you see the little blue line snaking through there. It doesn't look very big. Part of that's because uh, this is far away, and rivers tend to look small when they're far away. Even you're looking down into the Grand Canyon, you know, the, the Colorado River looks uh, pretty small. Uh, so it's far away, but actually the Jordan River is not a huge river. Uh, so it is not the mighty Mississippi. It is, it is not the, the Nile River. Uh, it is not a giant river. Uh, it varies in length, and back in the day when this happened, they estimate that uh, oftentimes for most of the year, uh, the average width of the Jordan River uh, was maybe about 100 feet across on average, and that uh, it would be, you know, maybe seven to eight feet deep on average, which doesn't seem like a lot, um, but, but it is. It's still, that would be a challenge to get across um, by yourself when there's no bridges, you don't have rafts, you don't have these things, and also it could be pretty fast moving. The closer it gets to the Dead Sea, the more it, the more it drops. Remember, the Dead Sea is way below sea level, and so the water actually does rush into the Dead Sea when it gets there. Uh, so to try and get, you know, across this uh, with a, a large army and supplies and all this, yeah, this is, this is quite a challenge. You know, they didn't have some drawbridge that would come over. They didn't have, you know, ferry boats that would, would take them over. So this, this is a challenge. Now, if you look at pictures of the Jordan River today and try to find some other ones and realize, well, it, it seems even more kind of disappointing. You see some of these pictures and you say, wow, that, that looks like the, maybe the thorn apple and sometimes like smaller parts of the thorn apple. And part of that, uh, from what I found out, is that basically uh, since about the 1960s, if you went before that, the Jordan River probably was closer to the water volume that it had during biblical times. Uh, but since then, uh, water's been diverted, there's been different things, and it's uh, very much less in volume than what it was. According to one account, maybe like 1 50th of the complete volume. And there are places today where uh, you, can, you could literally jump across the Jordan River. But that wasn't the situation uh, back then. It was uh, much uh, more formidable of a challenge. Plus, what I've told you as far as uh, the different stats, that is during most of the year. We're going to see in this passage that this was, this was the flood season. Okay, This is when the Jordan uh, overruns its, its banks. So there are times of the year around the harvest when you get the, um, the runoff from the mountains and all this. And in those times, uh, instead of being 100 feet, it could be two or 300 feet wide. Uh, it could be moving at uh, 10 miles per hour, uh, which, you know, that's going to make it really difficult to cross. In some places, some uh, resources said it could be even um, a mile across. Now, we don't know exactly what it would have been for them, but this was a formidable challenge they, they had to, to get across, uh, to cross this, especially at flood stage. Now, we don't know exactly how the spies crossed. We saw them last week, the two spies that went to Jericho. They must have got across somehow. And maybe they got picked because, you know, they were good swimmers or they were the ones able to get across. But it's a whole big different thing to get two people across than a whole army. We talked about there's the, the fords of the, the river, and the guards from Jericho chased them, well, thought they were chasing them, and they went to the fords because they thought, well, if they're going to cross, that's where it would be. Uh, but again, this is flood time, and so even the, the, the fords, these are not going to be easy 
at all to get across. So what are they going to what are they going to do? How are they going to do this? We have to think too of God's providence. God's telling them to do this now. I think it would have been a lot easier to do this a different time of the year. It would have been a lot easier if God would have had them cross at a different time when the fords would have been usable. They could have gone through in the, sh- the shallow areas. You know, but God told them specifically uh, to go at this point that seemed to be impossible from a human point of view. And God is doing this for his purposes. And part of it is to, to underline for them that, yes, this would be impossible if you were on your own. They would have to depend on him to get them across. Let's go ahead and read the rest of this chapter to see what happens. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, you shall set out from your place and follow it. And there shall be a distance between you and it, about uh, 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you, should go, you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So the ark was going to go first. Uh, that's, that's not Noah's ark. That's the, the box, like Indiana Jones, that, that one. And the Levitical priests are going to carry it. That's going to go first. So they're following the Lord across this. And everyone else stands back, you know, quite a ways, like 2,000 some uh, cubits here. Uh, so, you know, Maybe like a, a thousand yards. So they're back away. So they're going to be able to see what is going on here. They're not right up close. They have a good view of what is going to be happening. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself. Okay, so get ready. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Something amazing is going to happen. And Joshua said to the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This is God talking to Joshua. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's an important verse. That tells us why God is doing this, what is going on. We'll come back to that. Verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Okay, so all these nations that they have to drive out this big challenge, saying this is how you're going to know that I'm going to do this. This is going to be confirmation in what's going to happen. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, says that again, he's not just some local deity, he's of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. They'll be stacked up, they'll be stacked up in a heap and, and 
and stop. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. That's how we know this was the flood season here. So as soon as the, the feet of the priests hit the water, says the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is besides Zarethan. So this is probably about at least 15 miles upstream that this actually happens, that the water is cut off. And those flowing down towards the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, we call it the Dead Sea today, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. They were able to cross. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So we see that God tells them to have the, the priests go first with the ark, and then the people are to come. And as they do this, and as their feet hit the water, that uh, the water is, is stopped way upstream, maybe like 15 miles up at, at least, uh, depending where we identify this uh, town called here as, as Adam. And the, the water says is, is, is stacked up, and the people are able to uh, cross on, on dry land here. You know, if this was also, if this was about 15 miles up, I mean, they had a lot of people that needed to cross. You had the whole armies, you had, you know, the rest of the women and children. Uh, some of the women and children of three tribes were staying back, but you had a lot of people going across. And so this gives them like a 15-mile stretch, you know, that they can make their way over in doing this. This is not just a little tiny band of people crossing in one little section. Uh, this, is, this is a big uh, area now, how did this happen? Well, some have suggested that there was a landslide. And there, there was some kind of landslide that happened upstream. And uh, rocks and everything fall into the river and it dams it up temporarily. And so the water would, you know, back up and be stacked up by this dam. And that would cause the people to go through. And I want to th think a little bit about that. You know, could that be what happened? And what would, that, what would that entail if that did? What would that, would that matter? And we think, well, that would take the, the whole miracle part out of it. I don't know exactly if God did it that way. Um, we know from, from history that there have been landslides that have cut off uh, the Jordan River. There's one that cut off the flow for, uh, for 10 hours uh, before the river rediverted and, and went around it. Uh, there have been documented at least... Uh, Six of these in, uh, in history that we have documented, there's one in uh, 1160, 1267, uh, some of the more recent ones in 1906, and as a result of an earthquake in 1927, so not that long ago, uh, there was a 150-foot-high embankment on the western side of the river collapsed, and it blocked the water for 21 hours. So people have speculated that maybe that's what happened, that there was a landslide way upstream. Now, I don't know if that's what happened, but to me, even if that is what happened, does that make this any less impressive? I mean, when God uses 
if he uses natural means to accomplish something, shouldn't we still stand back and give all credit to God and just be amazed by God's providence in doing this? And think about what is going on here as well, too. Even if that is how this happened, and maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. I mean, all these other occurrences, I don't think, happened during flood season. And so that would have to be quite, you know, the, uh, the landslide, you know, to cut this off during flood season. But even if it did, realize that God would have had to orchestrate that so that it happens at the exact moment that they're stepping into this river. That's amazing. And that is, if this is happening, you know, some 15 miles upstream, that means that even before they went to step in it, that God was already at work. He had already orchestrated this to happen so that right exactly when they needed it to happen, it happened. And so I think no matter how God decided to make this happen, this is all about God, and this is amazing, and this is impressive. You know, think of the things that maybe you can look back on your life when God worked things out for you in his faithfulness and gave you exactly what you needed right when you needed it. And think about the, the providence of God to make that happen. Things that God had to set in motion, uh, you know, maybe, maybe days, maybe years, maybe, you know, hundreds of years before so that at exactly the right moment you would get what you need. There are times when um, you, we, we pray for God, we pray for his help, and, you know, hey, God can do miracles, he can do whatever he wants, but oftentimes he works through these kind of normal means, but he's the one orchestrating this. And so he orchestrates in the way that you get that phone call right when you need that phone call. You get that, that, that check to help you make it through at right that time. You get that job offer right when you needed it. So just have faith that the God that is with you has probably already set in motion the things that you're praying for or maybe the things you haven't even started praying for. But God knows you're gonna. And he knows what you need. And he, well, he knows what you will need. And he's already at work through this. So we can have faith in God. And we can step out in faith. We can, we can trust him. We can follow him. We can follow the callings that he, that he has for us. And we definitely need to follow the commands that he has for us. Now, I think one way that, you know, an application that you often hear from, from this chapter, you know, is about how, you know, the priests had to take their, their step first and then God, you know, parted the water. And I think you could understand that in a responsible way, but you could also understand that in kind of an irresponsible way sometimes. I mean, if you make it that it's all about you, uh, you know, following your, just, your, your heart's desires or your dreams or what you want to do instead of really what God has told you to do, you know, then I think we can misinterpret this and instead make it about God having to bless uh, just what we want to do. But in reality, when, if it is a situation where God, we are following him, where God has told us, especially if it's clearly in Scripture what we need to do, you know, then we need to be able to step out on faith. We need to trust him, and we need to put that into action. We need to rec- remember that, um, that faith is believing what God has said and being willing to act on it that we believe him, we believe what he has told us to do, and we need to go ahead and follow this. It's not just following our hearts and dreams, it's following what God has told us to do. And so, yeah, there's a big difference between deciding you want to do something and then, you know, God, you better, you, you better bless this. But there are times when 
you know that this is what you need to do to follow God, even though you might not know where the help is going to come from or how you're going to make this happen. Um, I know of a, a godly man that uh, he was in a situation where he realized that he, if he remained at his job, he would be forced to, to sin. That there were situations where the, it would in, he would be sinning against God, and he just knew very clearly, I and he looked for other ways to, to remedy this situation, but if I stay here, I am going to be in sin. And so the choices he made to follow God and to obey him cost him his job, but also knew that even though he didn't know how God was going to work this out for him, that God would be with him through this. So we need to have faith and we need to be willing to step out in faith when God calls us to do this. You know, I think if you think of all the things that God commands and tells us what to do, even though we don't know exactly how it's going to work out, if you are here and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior yet, I mean, God is calling you and he's commanding you. He's, he's telling you that you need to, to turn to him to be saved. I mean, repentance is turning away from our, our rebellion against him, turning and accepting Christ as our Savior. And so you can know that this is the first step that you need to do in faith, trusting him. So you can be forgiven of your sins by his, his grace. And you receive that through faith by trusting in him. And he's, he's commanding you to do this. So it's not, should I do it, should I not do it? And you might be hesitant because you don't know what that's going to entail. And yep, it's going to be all kinds of changes. You know, acknowledging Jesus as, as Lord of your life and following him, yep, it's going to be changes. But he is going to be with you. If you haven't trusted Christ yet as your Savior, so you can be saved of all your sins, please, I implore you to do that. But another big application from this, we saw, you know, what is God's purpose in this? We saw in verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You know, this is going to remind them, obviously, of God parting the Red Sea with Moses and even makes reference to it later on. And that's all, the whole point of this. God is doing a miracle not just because uh, it's like he's, he's lost his creativity, you know, and God has, he has to kind of recycle some of these miracles. You know, God, why don't you do something, you know, more uh, interesting here? This is kind of just a repeat of the whole Red Sea thing. No, the point of this is to communicate that, yeah, I did this before with Moses. I'm doing it now with you, Joshua, because I want you to realize what I've told you, that I am going to be with you the same way I was with Joshua. And with all these people, I'm going to be with you. And so I've told you this, and now I'm giving you this miracle to prove this to all of you, to make this really, really clear for you, that the same God who was with Moses will be with Joshua, will be with them. And we need to realize, too, that the same God that was with Joshua, even, is the same God that is with you. It's a different day, but it's the same God. So we see God stacks up the waters, and in this last, next section, chapter 4 and into 5, we will see that God's people stack stones. They're going to stack stones up. So let's read here. In this account, chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, 
from each tribe a man, there's 12 tribes of, of Israel, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. It's going to do something, it's going to be a sign. And when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them of the water of the Jordan that were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. They're supposed to make this monument. They're supposed to make this, this memorial that they would have so that they would not forget this. They would remember. God helped them to cross the river, and he wants this to cross their mind continuously, to not forget about this, to, to, to not cease to remember. And so he's having them do this as an aid for them so that they'll remember and so that their children will be told about this, even if they weren't around to see this. Because this isn't something that God is going to be uh, repeating over and over. Uh, this, is a, this is a unique thing, but he wants them to be able to look back on this and remember. Now, I thought about for the next part here, just kind of summarizing, but I want to read this quickly because there are some important bits uh, in the rest of this chapter. So, it basically says that the next part, that they did as God commanded. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua, and they carried them over to the place where they had lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there they are to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people passed over in haste. And when all the people finished passing over, the ark of the Lord of the priests passed over before the people. So the ark stayed in the middle and the people passed and then the, the ark came at, at last. And the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. Their wives and kids were going to stay on the other side, but they had to send their their armed men. About 4,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Again, God doing this to show different day, same God. He was with Moses, now he's with Joshua. 15, and the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come up out of the Jordan and when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. 
So not only did this happen, did it start to happen exactly when they went to step in the river, but it also ended exactly when they didn't need it anymore, and they were stepping out of this. So however God did this, this is amazing. Either miracle or providence, God is behind this absolutely and completely. Verse 19, And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And those twelve stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now some have said, it almost looks like there's two sets of stones, one that stayed in the Jordan, where the, the priests were, and another one that's in this campment that they called Gilgal. So it could be that there's two sets. Uh, it could be that they got them first, and maybe they even temporarily set it up to see how the stones, you know, if they'd stack right. I don't, we don't know exactly how it, how it looked. And then they brought them out. Uh, but there's at least the, uh, the permanent one was at this encampment on the other side in the Promised Land. The place ended up being called Gilgal. And the twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. So specifically comparing this to what happened with the Red Sea. So this isn't God, you know, just being out of ideas. He's repeating a type of miracle on purpose to show that he is the same God as he was 40 years ago. He's going to be with them. The Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and you may fear the Lord your God forever. So there's the account in chapter 3 of what happens, but then there's also the account in chapter 4 that tells them to remember what happens, to memorialize this, to remember all of this, and to look back in remembrance on this. You know, today, or this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I'll say it is not a coincidence that we're looking at this passage uh, on Memorial Day weekend, where they build a memorial, and they're told to think back. I mean, we, that, I, I did plan it like this. I thought it was a very fitting thing. And we think about, you know, what we are doing here on Memorial Day. You know, this is more than just a long weekend. You know, we're thinking about uh, our, our soldiers that gave their lives for us, for our country, for our freedoms, for everything, all these things that we enjoy. And the purpose of this and the purpose of building monuments and all these different things is so that we don't forget. That we don't just uh, go on with the easy lives and we forget about uh, the, the dramatic sacrifices and the things that had to happen. And if this is the case for us as we think about our Memorial Day, you know, how much more even we think back to what God has done for us and his mighty works for us in salvation history and in your life, in your personal life as well. We need to remember these things. One commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, wrote, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. We, just, we forget about things that God has done and what he can do and what he will do. We're called to remember and we're called to also to teach these to our children, to pass these things on so that they understand. And in the same way, in Memorial Day weekend, I hope that 
you know, we're, we're taking these opportunities to help our children remember the, the sacrifices of soldiers. And we're uh, seeing the different uh, commemorations, taking trips to the, uh, to, to the cemeteries. A few years ago, we went to Washington, D.C. with my family, and I saw all the monuments there and wanted the kids to, you know, look at the, the Vietnam Memorial and, and just started to get an impact of, you know, each of those names and how many there were and how it kept on going and what, what this means. And we also, we need to, we need to pass these things on to our next generations, to our kids, to your grandkids, that they keep remembering what God has done, that they remember his mighty acts, they remember his faithfulness to us. And so they're called to look back. Now, if you look back in order to go back, that's a bad thing. There are times when they look back and they say, oh, Egypt seems so wonderful. That's not the kind of looking back they're called to do here. Here they're called to look back in order to remember that the God that brought them this far is also going to carry them on all the way. The God that brought them this far is going to carry them all the way home into the promised land, into what God has, has given them to this new age of, of stage of challenges. There's a really great hymn. You know, Come Thou Fount. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Great hymn. There is the second verse. Oftentimes we do not sing it the way that it is originally written. And I understand why, why they changed the lyrics on this. Uh, let me read you the, the, actual, the original lyrics of this. In the second uh, verse, Here I raise my Ebenezer, Hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And I've sang that, and um, we used to use it with a, a youth group back in the day, and yeah, we realized, okay, we'll kind of change the lyrics there because people don't know what that means. And well, for me, also too, maybe for you, you hear Ebenezer, and your mind just goes to Ebenezer Scrooge and Bah Humbug, and you know, it just, you're not focused on the right things. But I found when I realized, oh, this is what this, what this actually means. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. It, it just blew me away. It was so moving to realize what this actually meant. Ebenezer, Evan, is the Hebrew word for stone. So they were told to take these 12 stones out of the river. Evan is the, is the Hebrew word that's used there for stone. Now, Ebenezer actually means stone of help. Uh, that word specifically is use of a different memorial stone uh, that's from 1 Samuel 7, uh, where it's specifically called an Ebenezer. Uh, but it's another type of memorial stone, just the same as these stones that are here, taken out of the Jordan River. God had brought them this far, and they were to make this monument with these 12 stones. Okay, so you have these memorial stones that are being raised, that are being set up. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. And hither, we don't use that word too much. It, it means this far. God has brought you this far by his grace, by his help, by him being with you. And it just, it just hit me, and I think this is what needed to hit the Hebrews. This is what needs to hit us as well for our lives and everything. The point of setting up these stones was so that when they were to go on to these new challenges, these new things that they were facing, that they could look back and see these stones and they would remember that God had brought them that far already. That they would remember that 
that God rescued them out of Egypt when they were slaves in Egypt. That God did these miracles. He, he opened up the, the Red Sea so that they would cross. God took care of them in the desert for 40 years, giving them manna, giving them quail, taking care of them. All these mighty acts, all these things to, uh, to preserve them, to keep working through them. And then at the end of this, that God uh, stops the river of the Jordan so they would cross. And yeah, there would be new challenges. And they would need to look back and realize that if God was able to bring them this far, of course, this same God would be with them the rest of the way. That the same God would be with them for the, the new challenges, the next challenges in life. This is what we need to realize as well. And so we need to, to raise our own Ebenezer's, our own memorials, one way or another in life. And I know there's some here that you've actually, you do have actual like, you know, Ebenezer stones that you've had that uh, you've, you've put out to remember different things that God has helped you through. We need to do that. Don't just look at the challenges ahead, the, the things that are unknown, the things that are frightful and scary. Also, look back to God's faithfulness in the past and realize that if he has brought you this far, he has got you through all these different things, this is the same God that will continue to be with you. He isn't going to dump his faithfulness and stop being faithful. He's going to, the same God is going to be with you, different day and same God. Think of how you need to put this into practice. Again, maybe it is, you need to put up a plaque, you need to you know, put up some, some stones, I think another helpful thing, you know, if you keep a diary, you keep a record, you keep your old prayer journals, you don't just keep the prayers that you're praying now, keep them so you can look back on them. I did some looking back and, uh, you know, I've kept a, a personal um, diary for, for years and years and years and flip back and like, wow, there's, that seemed like a big challenge back then. And God got me through that. I keep prayer requests of our staff meetings and things that the church has been through and things we've been praying for one another and flip back, and what did we have here, you know, uh, five years ago? Oh, we had this, those seemed like pretty big challenges back then. But guess what? God was really faithful and he got us through those. We didn't know how that was going to happen, but he did. We each need to do that. Keep a record in your mind, a memorial of God's faithfulness in the past and look back on these things. The same God who brought you this far will bring you the rest of the way. You need to remember that. Let me summarize just briefly some things from chapter 5. And it really, the first part here really does still tie in Chapter 5 starts and says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So again, the people that Israel thought, these guys are huge, we're, you, we can't defeat them, we're grasshoppers in their eyes. Now they're feeling like the grasshoppers because they realize that the mighty God is with his people of Israel. And so they're terrified, and God's people are filled with boldness and confidence. They're, they're strong and courageous. There's the next section, I won't read all of this, but there was something that had to be taken care of. Uh, the Israelites, they were supposed to have circumcised their, their boys, and 
they had been negligent on doing this. So this whole new generation, they had to take time out for them to be circumcised, and this would take some time. They'd have to heal up from this. Uh, it's a pretty good thing that the other nations were terrified during this time. God planned it that way. But they had to take care of this, this obligation before they could move ahead further. In verse 8, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. And then the last section here, I'll bring this up on the screen for you. Because this is the conclusion. When the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. Remember, God gave them all this food. He's taken care of for 40 years. And now just as miraculously as it starts, it just stops because they didn't need it anymore. They were in the promised land. They were having the fruit of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And they celebrate the Passover. Realize what's neat about that? This is so cool, God's timing. When they left Egypt, that was the first Passover. This was 40 years exactly afterwards that God had taken them out of Egypt. God had started them on this huge journey. And 40 years later, God delivers them into the promised land by his mighty hand. They've, they've arrived. They've crossed the, the one finish line into the next journey that they have. And this is at the Passover, and they celebrate this. And remember what the Passover was, too. They, they took this, uh, this, this lamb, and they sacrificed it, and they applied the blood to the doorposts of their home so that they would be saved from the destruction that would come. And this points ahead to the ultimate lamb of God that would come one day, and that would take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ that would come and that would that would die on the cross for us. I say this with that in mind. Think about this. If you think, if you're just comparing miracles, you're saying, well, you know, the, the Red Sea, even if it was a s- small part of the Red Sea, that seems way more impressive than this miracle, than the river, no matter how big it was. You know, the Red Sea versus a, versus, a, versus a river, you know, this isn't as big of a miracle. But another way you can think about this is, the truth that if God can do the big thing, he can certainly take care of the smaller thing. If you know that God can do, he can take care of the the big accomplishment, he can do the smaller thing. Now with that in mind, and with this Passover lamb, and what it represents Jesus Christ in mind, realize this for you. God has already done the biggest thing that he needed to do for you. Sending his son into this world. Jesus Christ willingly coming into this world and going to the cross for you. That was a hard thing. That was a hard thing. And anything else that God's going to do in your life is, is not that tough compared to that. Romans 8, 31, 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. 
The Passover lamb foreshadowed the ultimate lamb of God who would die on the cross to take away sin. So Christian, if God loved you enough to give Jesus to die in your place, he won't abandon you now. The same God will be with you and bring you all the way home. Let's pray. God, we give you praise. We thank you for your amazing faithfulness. The same God that was with Moses was with Joshua, and the same God that was with Joshua is with us now. Lord, I thank you for everyone here that has placed their trust in Christ. Lord, if anyone is still on their way to doing that, I ask that you would work in their heart and that they would turn uh, from their rebellion and trust you as their Savior and Lord and be saved by your grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for them. And Lord, help us to remember you have done great and mighty things. And whatever challenges are in the future, you will be with us. And if you have shown that you were able to do the hardest things, certainly, certainly you can be with us and you will be with us the rest of the way. We trust in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in his name we pray. Amen.